Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you.
can we can we sing that again? And uh, can I remind you, the altars are always open. And if you've got something heavy on your heart, you can come now if he prompts you, or you can come when Pastor Doug's going to be praying, and we'd love to lay hands on you. If you see somebody come up, would you please go behind them, if you can, and lay hands on them and just be there for them, or, or start praying in your right then and there when you see that person go. But man, the veil was tore. Do you get that? The veil was tore. One time, there was a veil that separated us from the Holy of Holies, and only the chief priest once a year could go into that Holy of Holies. And they'd tie a rope on that guy just in case God killed him. That's how serious it was. And they'd drag him out there if he wasn't right. But the veil tore. And we now have access to go to the throne of God. We now have access to go to the throne for our brothers and sisters and what they're dealing with. To the name above all names. Amen? Let's sing it again. You were the word at the beginning. One with God, the Lord most high. You're hidden glory in creation. Praise of your glory, for you are raised. 
If you would, open your Bibles up to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, we're going to be going through 10 through 17. We're getting ready, as I said, to start the Experiencing God's Small Groups. Those will happen, all right, on Wednesday night. You can come to the adult class. I'll be leading that on Wednesday nights. And then I'm also encouraging you, though, to start a small group of your own because an hour is not enough time to go through this stuff. So you can kind of see how the class goes on Wednesday night if you can attend that. Some of you are going to be in other things. And then you can start that group now. You could start that group. I know some people are waiting till a warmer time. It doesn't matter when you're going to start. If you want more information, just stay after church today, and we'll be going over that. All right? Acts chapter 9. Um, I love this story because when I was talking about experiencing God, and I shared about that. I used the example of Moses and the burning bush and how God spoke to him and called him to go to Pharaoh, right? And Moses had like five excuses why he was the wrong person to do what God was calling him to do. We talked about it on Wednesday night too. Um, but he ends up going. And because he says yes, because he's obedient, he gets to experience God. And what God did, he get to see God with the plagues and then part of Red Sea and do all these other things. And, you know, and his face ended up glowing. Uh, he got to experience God so much. And, and that can happen for us. But sometimes we look at those and we think, okay, th yeah, that's Moses. It's Moses though, right? And we don't realize Moses just was an ordinary person, just like you and I, right? Uh, what, about, what about Noah? Uh, what about when God calls somebody to build a, an ark? What about when God calls somebody to take on 300 people and take on over a 100,000-man army? Uh, what about when God calls the army of Israel to march around the walls of Jericho with no real battle plan, but, yeah, march around and scream and yell, you know? Sometimes we look at those things, though, and we say, oh, those are the big people in the Bible. And we need to realize those are just ordinary people. The disciples, ordinary people that God calls. And he can... And he will call to you as well. And that's what we're going to see today. Just a, an ordinary guy that, that God calls in, in Acts chapter 9. Um, before I get there, though, there was a Sunday school teacher by the name of Edward Kimball. Every weekend he taught around 7 to 10 kids. Um, they would fall asleep. They didn't really... I guess, care for his teaching. One in particular. During the week, though, he would pray for these kids. Man, my goodness, teachers, pray for your kids, right? Uh, one day he heard a prompting from God. He says, I want you to go to that one that's really fallen asleep, and I want you to go to his workplace and just tell him there's a God who loves you, there's a God who's pursuing you and calling you to give him his, your life. And uh, I just want you to invite him to, to know me and Edward came out of that prayer time, and he does what many of us do. He's like, are, are, was that really you, God? Is that really you calling me? And he starts to question that. Put yourself in his shoes. You know, would you be willing to go to a high school kid's workplace and talk to them about Christ right in the middle of it? My daughter works at McDonald's. 
That might be a little bit rough, right, if it got called you to do that. You might have some questions whether or not it's really from him. Well, he decides to trust this prompting, though, and so he goes into this boy's work, opens the door of this shoe store, and he sees this boy stocking shelves with shoes, and they make eye contact, but the student continues to work. Edward goes up to him and speaks to him, lays his hand on his shoulder right in the middle of the store, right in the middle of all these other customers that were there, and he says to this kid, God loves you, and he's pursuing you, and he wants to have a relationship with you, and I'm pleading with you to give your life to Christ. And they just stare at each other after he says that, and he gets this sinking feeling, right? What did I just do? <laughs> gets a little awkward that this boy does not say anything, and so he takes his hand off his shoulder and starts to head out the doors, and he's like, Lord, I'm an idiot. What, this must not have been from you. What, what am I doing? You know, this doesn't make any sense. I feel totally stupid, right? What he didn't know, though, was at the end of that boy's shift, he got off work and he sat down and gave his life to Christ completely. That student was Dwight Moody or D.L. Moody. That man became a teacher, a preacher, spoke all over, and they say, had a hand in leading over a million people to Christ. My question to you today is, what if Edward Kimball said no when God prompted him? No, that, that's kind of weird. No, I'll talk to him Sunday. No, it you know, just doesn't make sense, Lord. Is that even you? You know, you may think, well, you know, it's just one person. But it's never one person. It's a legacy. If we get to have a hand in what God is doing, calling somebody, if we get to be a part of that and seeing a life surrender to Christ, it's, it's not just that person. It's every person that that person will affect. It's every family member that will be in that person's lives. We're talking about generations. That's, that's what's at stake here. There's so much more, right? Well, like I said, today I want to look at a guy in scriptures that is often overlooked. It's in Acts chapter 9. His name is Ananias. Now, when people hear the name Ananias, usually they think of the person that kept money from the church and God struck that person dead, right? I'm not talking about that guy, but another Ananias. This Ananias lived in the city of Damascus, which is about 150 miles away from Jerusalem. He's not mentioned much but his faith is inspiring, and I think that we'll see that we all can really relate to this person. So Acts chapter 9, beginning at verse 10, if you're able, would you stand with me in honor of God's word? In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. 
Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Father, this is your word. Lord, speak to our hearts, soften our hearts so that we can hear, open our eyes and ears so that we can pay attention. Lord, speak to us as only you can. Lord, we give you all honor and praise. We know your words are the words of life. Father, speak to us today. Call us. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Acts chapter 9, verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. So there's some things that we should notice right away, right? First, Ananias is a disciple. A disciple is somebody that has a great desire, a great devotion to be like his teacher. Ananias wanted to be like Jesus. Later in Acts 22, it says he was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the people. This guy studied the scriptures daily. He was in the word, right? And often he was in prayer. And during one of these times, he has a vision from the Lord. How many of us would love to have God speak to us? Lord, are you even real? Speak to me. How many of us are truly asking for it, though? Truly making ourselves available to hear it during a quiet time? He will speak to you if you do. Ananias, his response, yes, Lord. I love that because immediately he recognizes this vision from being from the Lord. He recognizes the Lord's voice. No wondering, is this you, Lord, speaking to me? Yes, you have my attention. What do you want? When he whispers to us or prompts us, I believe experiencing God always starts with a yes. That's the title of this sermon. It all starts with a yes. I heard a pastor named Steve Carter tell a story about a time he went to Burundi, a small country in Africa, the central part of Africa. It was a poor country, and he was there with a team trying to start this ministry to benefit women, to, to let them start their own businesses. But they were stuck because they couldn't get in touch with the right person of that country to, to start this, the right government official. So they're in this brainstorming meeting with the ministry team trying to come up with an idea of how to meet this person. And they realize this meeting is going nowhere. If you've ever been in a meeting like that, you know exactly what we're talking about. So the leaders say, hey, let's break up. Let's go back and pray about it. And then let's come back after a while and bring one good idea of how we can reach this person. Back with you tonight. Steve starts walking back to his hotel room and he gets to this room and sits down and begins to pray and he hears a whisper from God saying, go for a run. Go for a run into the city. So he's like, okay, puts on his basketball shorts and starts running. He's never been in this city before, so he just starts 
going the way that he thinks he should go. And on the way, he all of a sudden, he comes to this outdoor park. And here are 400 to 500 people all crowded around watching these basketball games going on. So he stops to watch it. And a person comes up to him and is like, are you good? And he's like, yeah, I'm good. I'm enjoying watching this game. I, I like watching basketball. And the guy's like, no, 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 no. Are you good? Are you good at basketball? Steve's like, ah, yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm okay. And this guy says, if, if you play for me, we win. And Steve's a pretty competitive guy, he says. And he says, yeah, you put me on your team, we'll win. So the guy points to another guy and tells him, hey, you're out. Steve, you're in. And they play together for the next hour and 45 minutes, and they win seven straight games together. At the end, people bring out a platter full of money to them. And Steve's like, oh, no, no, I I can't accept this, right? I don't want your money. So the guy says, hey, tomorrow, championship game, you here? And Steve's like, well, I don't know. You know, I have these meetings that I need to be a part of. And the guy's like, what, what are these meetings about? So Steve explains why they're there. And this guy is like, do I know these people that you're meeting with, that you're, that you're doing this? And Steve's like, I don't even know who you are. So I don't know if you know who they are. And he looks at Steve and he says, I control this city. I run this city. You tell them you need to be at this championship game. So Steve's like, can I get your card? Gives him the card. Guess what? It just happens to be the government official that they are trying to contact. That's God. That is the power of an all-knowing, all-powerful God. God is at work all around us, and he's calling us. He's calling his church to be a part of what he's doing. If we'll say yes, we can experience God in amazing ways. Our young adults are leaving the church as fast as they can. They're bored by it. It's irrelevant. Our adults probably see, think the same thing oftentimes. But what if they realized there is a God at work all around them, a God that calls to them to be a part of what he's doing? And what if they got to experience that? It would flip their life upside down, wouldn't it? People are sitting out in the seats in churches wondering, where is God? Or why is God using this person, but he doesn't seem to be using me? Are we too busy? Are we listening, teens? He'll speak to you. If we make ourselves available, if we say yes, if we're obedient. But all too often, right, we say no. Our kingdoms are more important than the kingdom of God. Our kingdom is about living in comfort. So anything that takes us out of that comfort zone, no thank you. Call somebody else. I'm not the right person, right? I'm not good at speaking in front of people. Our kingdom is about being served. But the kingdom of God is about being a servant. Not temporarily, but taking on the very nature of a certain that Christ demonstrated to us, right? A slave, if you will. In his kingdom, 
in this kingdom. He often prompts us, but we say no, and we miss out on being part of what he's doing. And we wonder, why doesn't God work like he did in the Bible? Why is there no power today? I thought he did miracles. Why doesn't he do things like he used to do? The church is neutered every time we say no. Every time we say send someone else. Every time we say I'm not the right person, right? If the God of the universe who created you, who knit you in your mother's womb, knows everything about you, calls you, you are the right person, right? You're, you're looking at what he's calling you to do, though, and it's God-sized. It's beyond you. But that's the point. It's not beyond him. And he goes with you. Right? We've got to quit looking at things from our strength, our position, and realize who is for us. I want you and me to wonder about what would happen if we say yes. We'd get to experience the power of God what would that do to our faith, right? Each of us has things that he's planned in advance for us to do. He's given us a gift if we've called on his name and put our faith and trust in him and repented from our ways and turned to him. He's, he's given us a gift to be used in the body, to build the body, to reach nations, to disciple nations, right? Some the gift of healing, some the gift of discernment. Some the gift of prophecy. Do you know what your spiritual gift is? Ananias, yes, Lord. In another translation, it says, here I am, Lord. He's ready to go. Verse 11, the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man named Tarsus, a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. He has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. I think this is the point that we can really all relate to because of what Ananias is thinking. It's the same thing that we all think when God comes to us and calls us to do something, right? The uncomfortable fork in the road where we have to choose our kingdom of comfort or his kingdom where there is no comfort. There's peace. It scares Ananias, though. And he starts to backpedal, right? Just like us. I know I said, here I am, Lord, but did you say Saul from Tarsus? That guy? Right? Have you been watching the news, God? Do you know who Saul of Tarsus is? Saul of Tarsus is that guy who every Jewish elite took off their robe and laid it down at his feet, and he gave the authority to stone Stephen. Saul of Tarsus is the guy that went into the synagogues in Jerusalem and arrested both men and women and bound them and put them into prison. And the latest news, God, is that he's coming here to Damascus with the authority to imprison your followers, right? This guy's coming for me, Lord. 
you want me to go to this guy? And God's like, yeah, that guy. Go, right? God calls us to join him, and we all have a choice. We all have free will, yes or no. We will always have good excuses, good reasons, especially if we're looking just at ourselves. Lord, you just don't understand what you're asking me to do. Lord, you just don't know me and what my strengths are. And God always comes back, though, and says, go. I will be with you. Amen? Will you be a part of what I'm doing? And like Ananias, we have the choice. And we have to choose to surrender our will or keep our will. That's the choice. Tony Campello tells a story of a time he went to preach at college. 15, more, 15 minutes before he was supposed to get up on stage, some people come to pray for him. This group gets down on their knees and starts lifting him up in this time up in prayer. Right? They're asking God to work through him. And one guy says, Lord, my heart's broken for Charlie. Charlie Stolfus. Charlie Stolfus right now is about to leave his wife and three kids. He lives in that silver trailer down the road. God, I pray that you would intervene and stop this from happening. He needs to know you. They need to know you. Tony's thinking, I don't even know who this Charlie guy is, right? Um, Let's focus in on what's about to happen in this service. More prayer for me, please. More prayer for this service, right? Tony gets up, speaks, and then it's the time where he's leaving and he's getting ready and he starts driving towards the airport, right? And he's heading on this road and all of a sudden he sees a guy with his thumb sticking out, hitchhiking on the side of the road. And he hears a whisper. Pick this guy up. And he says to God, I never pick up hitchhikers, Lord. I don't think so. That whisper says again, pick him up. So he pulls over and picks him up. They start driving along and he asks them where he's heading. The guy says, anywhere but here. And Tony says, I'm headed to the airport. I could drop you off in town. And the guy says, that sounds good to me. Then he says, hey, my name's Tony. What's yours? Charlie. Charlie what? Charlie Stolfus. Charlie Stolfus? Slams on the brakes, whips the car around. He's like, Charlie Stolfus that lives in the silver trailer down the road? Charlie Stolfus, the one getting ready to leave his wife and three kids? Charlie's like, who are you, man? (laughs) Tony's like, I'm a man of God. And I'm here to tell you you're making a terrible mistake. Take me to your house. He does. Tony ends up leading not only the man, but his wife and three kids to Christ. That's the work that God is doing. God is at work all around us, speaking to people's hearts. And he calls us to be a part of it. And it's a tremendous privilege. It's a tremendous responsibility. We can't shy away from it. There's too much at stake, right? Friends, we can be a part of what God is doing if we'll say yes. It all starts with a yes. Let's go back to Saul. He's on his way to Damascus to seek out Christians and take them out, right? Along that way, he sees the bright light and literally blinds him and drops him to his knees. 
he hears the voice in Arabic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he says, Lord, who are you? Right? He's trying to look up to see where this voice is coming, but he can't see anything. And the voice from heaven says, it's Jesus whom you're persecuting. So here's this man who has all the power, all the authority, all the prestige, right? And the God of the universe (laughs) brings him to his knees and gives him instructions. Go to the city and wait. Wait. He gets up. His companions are speechless because they heard the voice, but they didn't see anything, right? And they lead him to where he needs to go. When he gets there, he doesn't drink or eat anything for three days. You know, sometimes we see people in the position they're in compared to our position, and we think, that person, I couldn't talk to them about Christ. They're too up there. They're too important. I don't know if women do this, but I think guys do this. Or maybe that person would be the last person that would ever want to hear anything about Jesus Christ. But people are being worked on by the Holy Spirit, and they are desperate They are broken. They are without meaning in their life. And they are looking for the God of the universe. And he calls us to be a part of sharing the good news with them if we'll say yes to him. Just like God was calling Ananias to show up for Saul, he's calling us to be the church and be a part of his work Right? Verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Saul, persecutor of the church, no way he's coming to Christ, right? Go, he's a chosen. Who's your enemy right now? Who can't you stand? Who is the last person that you would ever speak to about Christ? Oh. Pray for him. Pray for an opportunity, right? God's like, you don't understand this. You don't see the whole picture. Trust me, right? You can't, you don't see what I'm about to do with this, but I'm calling you to be a part of it. That's what's available to us. us. Ananias, I need you to show up in this situation. Our response needs to be like Ananias. Yes, even though. Yes, even though I don't understand it. Yes, even though it doesn't make sense. Yes, even though it feels crazy. Yes, even though I might be rejected. Yes, even though it might kill me. Yes, even though I'm scared. Yes, even though I think he's the last person that would ever listen. I'll go. Yes, even though has to be our response. Verse 17, so Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. Man, I love baptism. Think about Saul's baptism, right? Old self, murderer, prosecutor, enemy goes under the water comes out and all of a sudden new creation someone redeemed 
no longer an enemy of God, no longer an enemy of Jesus, but now a child of God. He would go on to become Paul. I think every time we get baptized, we should get a new name. Some of us need new names. Identity changed, though. Apostle. Apostle to the Gentiles, right? What if Ananias had said no? What would, have, what would he missed, have missed out on? We're here in large part to the Apostle Paul's ministry and what God did through him and others like him, right? Sometimes we think that the church need more, more Pauls, these, these big people, but I think we need more people like Ananias, people that will just say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, even though I don't feel like I'm the right person, right? Here I am with the small things. That's where it starts. Remember Edward Kimball reached out to D.L. Moody? D.L. Moody goes to London to preach, meets a man named Meyer, leads him to the faith. Meyer leads a man named Chapman to the faith. Chapman comes to the U.S. and starts preaching and teaching, runs into a baseball player named Billy Sunday, leads him to faith. Billy Sunday starts speaking, finds himself in Charlotte for a week speaking. The leaders of the city come to faith, and they start pooling their resources so that they can put on more of these speaking engagements, more of these revivals and influence their city. They go to Billy Sunday, and they're like, hey, can you, can you speak in three weeks? Can you come back? And Sunday's like, man, I'm booked, but I know another guy named Mordecai Ham. He's a great preacher. You should invite him, so they do. Mordecai's preaching. Night two, there's a tall farmer kid. Comes in, very skeptical and cynical. He sits back in the rear, and as Mordecai Ham preaches, the scales begin to fall from his eyes. His heart softens, and the grace of God just invades his life. And by the end of that message, that farmer's boy by the name of Billy Frank came forward. We know Billy Frank to be Billy Graham. What if Edward Kimball said no? What if? No, that's crazy, Lord. No, that's awkward, Lord. You have to wonder, right? We, Nathan, we get the video ready. You have to wonder, what is God doing around you and me right now? What is he calling you to? Are you too busy to even hear him? Are you not in the word to let it speak to you? Are you not spending time in prayer, listening? My friends, what is he doing around us? We can be a part of what he's doing. The things that he calls us to do. We can experience God. We can have our lives totally flipped upside down and see what God does, not what we do, right? We can see and experience the power of God. Will you say yes at his prompting? That's the question. Sometimes saying yes looks like trusting him with something that's going on in your life. Sometimes saying yes means trusting him with the storms that we're experiencing in our lives. Sometimes yes means, even though I'm experiencing those things, those things that I question from you, Lord, why haven't you healed me? Why haven't you changed this situation? Even though I don't understand it, I'll still praise you for it. 
because I know there's a reason. Even in the storm, especially in the storm, it starts with a yes. Amen? I don't, I don't know what storms you're in. I don't know why you're in them. But I believe there's reasons. And that God can even use the storms of our lives to further his kingdom if we'll let him. If we'll say, yes, I'll trust you in this storm. Yes, I don't get it, but I'll trust you in these storms.